you might get to a place where you're like, all right, this thing is growing. We've got our offer nailed. We know who our customer is. And like everything is going. Everything's up and to the right. It's great. And then the market shifts. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? Today on the podcast, I have John Doherty. He is the CEO of Editor Ninja. It's a content editing productized service that he's taken from idea to five figures a month in under a year. In this episode, we talk about the most important thing for any early stage startup. And what is that? Product market fit. Why are we talking about it? Because making a product people desperately want is damn hard. And we wanted to compare notes. With Editor Ninja, he talks about his process for collecting feedback for happy and unhappy customers. I actually learned a lot on that. We both talk about how often we're tweaking messaging, our offer, our pricing for our companies to uncover what people actually want. Um, We also talk about false signs of product market fit that can lead you astray. Um, And I compare notes with One Day Design, talking about what is working with our startup, what is not working, and what we're trying to do to power through to get to the holy grail of scale and traction. So if you're launching a company or you're in the middle of taking something to market, hopefully this one is helpful for you to figure out how to navigate the black hole that is product market fit. But hope you enjoy today's episode. All right. On the podcast and the, the second timer club, we're bringing back somebody that I'm, I'm loving what you do on Twitter. We got John back on the podcast. You are on episode 86, which if you want to go back and see your story, it's pretty cool. But dude, I'm fired up to, to get into it today. Yeah, man, this is gonna be awesome. Thanks for having me back on. It's been what year, year and a half that we've been connected. It was probably eight, 12 months ago. I was on the pod the first time. So yeah, stoked to be back, man. And what, what's funny is like, we both have companies that we've been doing for a little while. And then we're like, you know what? We have shiny object syndrome. Let's launch something else. And yeah. we both have launched these other companies. And like you and I at a cocktail party, we could talk to people, make them think it's going real well and talk yeah. about like how it's just crushing it. But as you and I compare notes, like we're like, man, do we have product market fit? Is this working? And you and I were kind of chatting, having a very honest conversation. And I was like, hey, why don't we hit record and put this out there? Because it's easy to see the narrative of, oh, you have a startup idea. You launch it. You work hard. And then boom, IPO. But the messy middle is real messy. And knowing if you have product market fit or not, it's not super binary sometimes. It's like... It's very gray. It's very muddy. And so that, that's kind of what we wanted to hit on today. And I heard someone talking yesterday about how it's a constant search. So like it might be working, like you might get to, and, and I think we should define product market fit, but you might get to a place where you're like, all right, this thing is growing. We've got our offer nailed. We know who our customer is. We have our acquisition channels going and like everything is going. Everything's up and to the right. It's great. And then the market shifts or the economy shifts. And then all of a sudden you don't have product market fit anymore because you were like, you know, growing really well in a in an economy where everybody is super, you know, optimistic and and all of that. And people are like just trying to hire as fast as they can. And then the economy shifts and all of a sudden like they're losing all their budget. 
what do you do then? You know, like all of a sudden your approach has to change, your messaging has to change, all of that. It's never a destination. You know, if we think about it as a destination, I think we're going to, we're not going to do as well versus like Alex Hormozzi say, I don't know who he got it from, but basically the, the, the person that enjoys walking is going to go way further than the person that's trying to get to the destination. So I think like we need, we, we have to learn to enjoy the, enjoy the roller coaster to, to really enjoy walking and to keep on walking. That's such a good point that it's not just some state that you hit. It's, you know, you're always kind of working to ensure you have it because it can ebb and flow, like the level yeah. of traction that you have. But you said a good thing. Let's define product market fit. So I decided to cheat and I went to chat GPT to see like, okay, what's the definition of product market fit? And so let's compare. So according to Mark Andreessen, product market fit means being in a good market with a product that can satisfy that market. Okay, there you go. Brian Belfort, he says it in a way that aligns with what you just said, where product marketing isn't a one-time discrete point in time that announces you made it. So many things change that maintaining fit is just as hard, if not harder, as finding it initially. Well, mm-hmm. what, what do you what do you think of? What do you think of like the definition of product market fit? Yeah, so I mean, different people have said obviously different things. I don't disagree with Mark Andreessen. I do think there is like a bit of a like a feeling around like if you have like fit or not, basically are people coming in, are more people coming in who need what you offer and then what you offer is attractive enough to them that they sign up and they stick around. That's the long-winded version. HubSpot says that for them, it's if at least 40% of, of your customers say they would be very disappointed if they no longer had access or consider it a quote-unquote must-have, you've created a product that fits into the market. I do think there is a growth element though, that like you're, get, like you're getting people, you know, there, there are people that are coming to you that need the thing that you have, not just your existing customers, you know, have it. So you figured out some like acquisition channels and, and all of that. You figure out your acquisition, your sales, your delivery, like all of those things, your retention, all those things have to be, have to be in line. Yeah. I like what you said with the HubSpot definition of like a 40% rule that the product went away, over 40% would be very disappointed to not have it. And like, I think of it as, like at our growth agency, growth that whenever we're looking at clients, I look at their conversion rate for e-commerce companies. Like, oh, do they have traction? It's like, oh, wow, their conversion rate's 4%. That's amazing. Or if it's a SaaS company, they have like negative churn or no churn. Because a lot of people are like, wait, how do you like quantify it? Which is, there isn't like a true definition, but those are some metrics I look at as, as signals that, oh, wow, mm-hmm. this is working. Or it's very viral and that there's a lot of referrals or word of mouth or high NPS score. Those are other ways to try and like quantify product market fit. Mm-hmm. Even like thinking about like sales metrics, if you're converting 100% of people that come to you, you probably don't have product market fit because it probably means that your price is so low that like people are just willing to take a flyer on it and they're hoping. Mm. So I, lo- I actually look at like a healthy business is closing probably 60% of like qualified deals that they pitch because it means that there's a competition in the space. People are willing to sign on. Your pricing is high enough. You know, all of those things. And it's probably a little bit longer of a sales cycle. So there, there's that side. And then, you know, if it, maybe if it's like self-serve SaaS or something like that, then like a certain like percentage of like free to, you know, free to pay, free trial to paid, you know, conversion, like that kind of thing. And then there's the like the retention metrics, you know, as well. Because if you're signing on 100% of people and they're all churning out after a month, you don't have product market fit. And that's where I found myself recently versus if you're not everyone churning, but like more than should be versus if you're signing on 60% of people and they're all sticking for six months, 12 months, or they're willing to sign that longer contract and they actually pay it out you and, and they've gotten good results and they re-up, you have fit there, you know? 
So I, so the, the, I think that's the hard thing about this is like there are there are many many layers to it, and you're kind of knocking down the dominoes of acquisition, sales, retention, you know, continuation, like all those things. I say have to fit, have to be there before you can really say that you have fit. You said something that stung because it hit way too close to home. It's like the prices are so low, they'll take a flyer on you where you get this false sense of like, oh my gosh, I'm closing everything. Because like with one day design, where we've been testing like one landing page at $12.99. And a lot of people will kind of say that, cool, I'll take a flyer on that because that's so approachable. But now I'm, I'm, you're making me rethink. And we can get into pricing because the value exchange is so freaking hard and like trying to nail that. Well, one thing I also want to hit on is what are some false signs of product market? So you listed a few because that's one thing Paul Graham talks about. It's like you can always feel it when it's not happening, but you think it is. It's like the next deal's about to close. The next partnership is just another meeting away because I was a part of a startup that was in this false sense of product market fit for like 18 months where you're just like one thing away. But the truth is it's not happening. And then I was at an, another startup where you know it's working because you can't hire people fast enough. All of a sudden, everybody knows about the product and the company and you have real growing pains as opposed to traction gains. And I think you need to be in both seats to really know that difference. What do you mean by growing pains? Instead of just traction gains, yeah, like, it's like the difference. You, you like can't fulfill all the needs as far wow. as you don't have enough people to actually like. This was like a a, a, co- a media company where they like all the advertisers. Oh, you guys need to launch this product in Dallas and then Austin. And so like, oh, we don't have people to fulfill that yet. And mm-hmm. so you're you're really having to just like build the operations to go where the demand is, right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, and I've seen that in businesses. Like I was talking to someone who was early on at Design Pickle that basically like they've never had a, a a lack of demand. And then basically they've just had to bring in great like ops people and all of that. And like people that can just like constantly be hiring, vetting, retaining designers, like that kind of thing. They've just always had like strong demand. And then they launched eight years ago and like there was no one else in this space, right? It's much harder for like kind of the, the follow-ons, the super sides, et cetera. You know, it's been harder for them to get traction just because like Design Pickle has kind of gobbled it all up from the start, right? But that that to me is like, okay, you're, yeah, you're running to keep up with demand as opposed to trying to like generate demand. Right, yeah. So so I think, so that you're not having to generate demand and you're just like, people are just coming to you and you can't sign them fast enough and they're your ideal customer and, you know, they're getting the value, all that, like, that's that's product market fit there. Yeah, it's funny. A buddy of mine who has an agency and they just launched a SaaS company that's doing pretty well. He's like, I literally didn't know a product market fit was because of an agency. I'm like forcing this down people's throat. Like, Buy my service. And then he's like, with the SaaS, he's like, people are just signing up automatically and they're asking for new features. And he's like, hey, I never saw that. Yeah. But dude, I want, so we can kind of like, let's start with Editor Ninja. I'd love to kind of like, almost like a linear path of like how it's going, how it's gone and where you're at as you're in this kind of messy middle. Yeah, I, it might be helpful to kind of just give an update, like each of us give an update on kind of where, like what our business is and where where we currently are. So for yep. Editor Ninja, we are a, a subscription content editing service. So we're basically the design pickle of content editing. We primarily focus on copy editing and proofreading. 
So we're in the low five figures a month of we're low five figures of monthly revenue. It's basically all MRR, even though we're a, you know we're we're an agency, we're a productized service, which means we just have a technology layer that delivers the service in a consistent way. So our customers are basically agencies, content agencies, and also in-house like content and SEO teams that are mainly producing marketing content. So the reason why I've been thinking about about product market fit is that we. We've recently we we recently expanded or a while ago started this year we ex- we raised our prices and started offering basically more like in depth sort of like editing, and what we realized was basically my hypothesis was that we could deliver that like in depth like developmental editing that goes back to the writer etc. in the way that we were delivering co- that we deliver copy editing and proofreading, and basically what I learned is at least in the marketing space at least the customers we've been going after basically they're not sending it back to the writer for like in depth feedback they're not investing in their writers to like to make them better. They're basically like, we get what we get from the writer and then we rely on someone else, aka an editor, to make it good and to make it ready to go. But that usually involves someone with marketing experience and all of that. So, you know, I was seeing that like our our price point, because basically the alternative to hiring us to, you know, developmentally edit, aka provide feedback and rip it apart, send back to the writer for them to do a second draft. And then it comes back to us. Our price point, I mean, basically it was like pay us a thousand dollars a month or pay or go and spend three, four months hiring a hiring up an editor. That you're going to pay seventy five to eighty thousand dollars a year, right? So, so price was low enough that people were willing to take a flyer on it, but it was just impossible to deliver in the way they wanted. Everyone wanted something different, right? So, like part of it was that we, I wasn't qualifying well enough within the sales process for what their process is, and people were willing to sign on even though it wasn't quite the right thing because the price was low enough. That's... So I can sign them on, and then they would churn, and it was frustrating as anything. Yeah, because especially with the productized service, because when you're making a productized service, you want to make a specific product that is repeatable and scalable that goes to this audience. And the issue that I I run into as well is people want customized things, but that kind of defeats the purpose of having this low price productized offering. Because I would struggle with, are they right and I need to change the product or they're actually the wrong customer for what we have and the product is right? And I, yep. I really struggle with that. But it sounds like you've done a good job. You're honing in on agencies. like, And you're saying like, what you're selling, they like it, but they want more. And is that why they're churning? Yeah, basically. Basically. And we don't have the... you know what, what they, Also, like what they're willing to pay for a service as opposed to like full-time person, we can't deliver the service that they want for that. We can't yeah. hire the people that they, that they want for that. So it's actually a better fit for them to go and you know, kind of hire on their own, even though it's going to be more expensive. It's like, so it's a funny, like a logical thing there. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I've done, Jim, is I actually like spreadsheet here. I'm a, I'm a spreadsheet junkie. That's basically <laughs> what's our, what are all of our deals that are like in process that have churned that are currently signed on, like that kind of thing. I've qualified them, we're going to close them, whatever. And then I have them all categorized by what kind of business are they? Like agency, brand, freelancer, have they signed on? Like, yes, no, not yet. Did they churn? Yes, no. Why did they churn or why mm. did they not sign on? And so I'm seeing sales objections that have kept them from signing on. And I'm also seeing why they churned. And then I can slice it by the type of company, that the type of business that they are. And what I realized actually for my business, and it's going to be different for other people, for my business, it's not about whether they're an agency, a freelancer, or an in-house team. It's how are, how are they thinking about content and how are they producing it? Are they running like a, a specific like editorial process? Or are they just like kind of winging it and trying to, you know, scale it up and, you know, relying on trying to rely on two people when they should have like four different people doing it? It's really like how they're thinking about content and how they're producing it, their process, and whether that fits the way that our process works. 
That's such a good point, because like with this idea of product market fit, like the market can be you really need to know the ins and outs of it. It's not just agencies. It's not just an in-house content team. It's like a team with X amount of people that actually has a workflow or a system that does this, then you're magic for them. But if they don't have it, they're not going to see the value in it. Got it. So basically, I think because you're doing such a good job, you're doing a better job than I am of documenting it, to be honest. Ours is a little bit more of gut feel. Like, how do you get those qualifiers? Is it just doing constant calls with people to, to figure that out? Which qualifiers? Like why they, why they didn't sign on or why they churned? Or, or, exactly, or basically the difference between a, a customer that loves you versus someone that churns, how you're uncovering what makes it work and doesn't make it work. Because sometimes it's hard to get that feedback when they churn. Mm. Um, yeah. You said you're you're addressing those objections in the sales process. Is it just constantly talking to people? Or are you doing lots of follow-ups? I mean, I do a lot of follow-ups in the sales process, as anyone should if they're actively doing sales for, for any business, right? Like people will go cold, they'll go on vacation, whatever. Like you have to be following up. And I have a very good... I mean, I have a, I have a CRM, but also, uh, you know, I, I also use Gmail's Boomerang to bring stuff back to me to remind me, right? If I say that I'm going to follow up in two weeks... I send that email and then I set it to come back, set that email to come back to my inbox in two weeks. This is less my process and it keeps me following up. So as far as like getting the reasons why people churn, people are going to hate me for this. I actually removed the ability for people to self-cancel. They have to submit a cancellation request and then tell us why they want to cancel. And then I will follow up. I've never not allowed someone to cancel, but it's so that I can get that in-depth feedback, right? What was it? And, and even try to save them. Like I say, I've saved a couple because mm-hmm. they were like, oh, we, you know, we're not getting X and Y. And so I'm still having to do this. And I'm like, well, you didn't tell us we like you needed that. We can do that. Right. And then we yeah. do it. And then the and then they stay on and they're super happy. You know, it's like you gotta give us, you gotta give us a shot, you know? And 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 that's kind of taking into account that there's always gonna be like a 10% or like a couple specific things that they need to do, which is why any productized service that reaches or any just like agency that reaches any level of scale, they are there's there's a specific person assigned to that account that gets to know that account. And we mm-hmm. actually create documents about each of our customers, who they are, who the main point of contact is, what kind of business they are, what's unique about this project. And then myself, our managing editor, and any editor working on that project, on that account, also has access to that. So we have a shared document about them internally that anything that like is new that's learned, what the specific th- things this customer needs, like that kind of thing is all within that. So it doesn't go outside of like, we're not going to go and like be in their Slack and work within their systems and all that sort of stuff. It all happens in our system. That's the product, productized part. Mm-hmm. But they're always going to be, you know, little unique things like they're looking for this or they need to, you know, a, an intro paragraph shouldn't be longer than two sentences or something like that. Like we may, We allow for that. Because we have individual, because we have people that get to know their accounts. So that's, that's helped. And then basically I take the like, the reasons why they churn. And then I say, and then I basically make a determination, kind of a value judgment of, is this something that we should have been able to keep? Is this something that we've heard many times and multiple times that we actually need to serve? Or is this just that we're never going to do that or we're not going to do that anytime soon? Never say never, right? We're not going to do that anytime soon. And so I actually need to qualify for that in the sales process with future prospects to make sure that they're they're not expecting X and just be very, very clear about what it is that they're looking for. So it feeds, it feeds back in to the to the sales process as well. Oh man, that's such a good framework. And especially like, yes, people want to be able to churn automatically, but the the feedback that you're getting from that is is huge. And you can eventually help them if they're the right fit. Question right. for you because they like, still get to churn. 
right? We're yeah, not, we're not yeah. like we're not holding them hostage. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no problem. Sorry to see you go. Can you give me some feedback on you know wh- what you didn't get? And like, there, yeah. I have found I've not had anyone not be happy to do that. Yeah, no, and, and that's a traditionally how clients turn with agencies too. So it yeah. makes sense. So here's the big question: How often are you tweaking your product, your offering, or your pricing? based on this feedback. So I'm interested to compare notes on like how often you guys do that versus how often we're doing it. How many hours are in the day? Are, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would say like I am making some sort of tweak weekly. Yeah. Same the here, bigger, man. Like yeah. bigger pricing changes and all that sort of stuff. Like those those happen less often, probably monthly, every couple months, something like that. But like moving stuff in and out of packages and all that sort of thing, like that's that's happening weekly, kind of adjusting, adjusting to the market. So, yeah. yeah. Are you a business owner in desperate need of talent, but you have issues finding good people or worse, you find the talent, but then they want you to pay them double what you have budgeted? Yeah, I know the feeling. This is where remotely talents can help. Imagine having a personal HR team that finds you A plus talent, and here's the best part, it costs you 40 or even 80% less than US employees. It's magic. So let's say you need help with setting up your social ads, your Google ads, email marketing, website development, customer service. Their team sources the top Ukrainian talent for you and they deliver three top vetted candidates straight to your inbox. It's a one-time payment, and best yet, they give you a 60-day guarantee to ensure you're happy. Hey, if it doesn't work out, they'll find and replace the talent for free. Even better, 3% of all sales go to the Children's Hospital in Ukraine. At Growth Head, our agency, we've hired four people from Ukraine. I am blown away by the level of work we're getting. So whether you need a virtual assistant or a creative director, Give this a try. Go to remotelytalents.com right now and start a conversation. See if they can help you. You really have nothing to lose. And yeah, I mean, we're the same. And like, we actually have an updated design for a website. We have been pushed because I'm still trying to solidify pricing. And because I get on a call with everybody and we literally have five different slides. We're based on the persona. We're testing different packages and pricing. So like our process is, has been kind of similar where it's, you know, we had this initial offer of $12.99 and we were closing a lot of things. And I, I think we got like a false sense of hope and we had an unlimited package, but uh, literally only like two or three people did that. And one of them, they did it so well after they got like 50 the designs for us. They're like, we literally have nothing else for you to design and we're going to churn. And we're like, crap. <laughs> like we, we were too unlimited. And they, they were a machine. But so what we've seen is like, we have those two offerings. But what started to happen was people would put us as just another design option, almost like comparative to design pickle. And then it's a little bit of a race to the bottom on pricing. And so we had to really focus on our point of differentiation, which is conversion rate optimization, CRO-focused design. So as we leaned into that, we were winning some deals. However, then people are comparing us to like CRO agencies and they want heat maps, scroll maps, session recordings, and the, the data with it. So we're trying to really hone in on, okay, what's our point of differentiation and what do people want? So some clients are like, just give me the CRO-focused landing page design. Some people are like, I just want the data. Some people want both. And so what we've done is, We've created a database of, and we're going very aggressive off the, after Shopify and e-commerce. 
we have a database of like 10,000 Shopify sites where we basically put them in categories by MRR and we're going after them and we're just trying to talk to them to see what they want. So I can eventually hone in on those packages. And so it, it's like, we'll literally, we did 15 calls in six days and we got all different types of answers, but we're category, categorizing it by their price point because, or by how much money they make each month. Because here's what I realized. We were closing a lot of small companies that would use us as one and done design things to get their website up. And that was, yeah. I guess, good for quick closes. But here's the thing. If I have to get to a million dollars closing a lot of things as one-time hits of $12.99, I'm going to pass out. I want yeah. recurring revenue. I care about MRR. And so I was like, this is not sustainable. So I was like, we do not have traction. We do not have product market fit because MRR yeah. isn't working. So the whole shift is figuring out how do we get those clients that we can help on an ongoing basis? So that's what we're hunting for. But it goes back to like, who are the people that are doing it like consistently, you know? Mm -hmm. And then how do they, and then how does their workflow work for producing it? And then therefore, what does your offer look like? So for us, yeah. for example, there are two ways that people produce content we have found. One is, and I've dug into this a lot over the last like, three weeks or so. One is they're producing it ongoing. Usually it's like a content, in-house content team that they're like, we're publishing three pieces a week, right? And they have a specific cadence. Yeah, Some agencies do that as well. And they're just always working along. But what I've also found is that there are agencies and I haven't found in-house teams that do this. And freelancers kind of just kind of work on going, right? But they're, they're a risk because like they're working with three, four, maybe five clients. And we had two like great freelance customers who are awesome that we were delivering great value for that churned because they lost, they both lost two or three clients in a week. So they oh, no longer yeah. had the need for us because they're hiring us to buy back their time so they can hire, bring on more clients. All of a sudden, they don't need us because they don't have the clients and they churn yeah. or pause. I expect both of them to come back. But but the other thing for us is like, learning the process is like I heard one agency say, we order our content at the start of the week. And I'm like, that's interesting. You <laughs> order your content. Tell me more about that. And they're yeah. like, well... We do the strategy at the end of the month. We order all the content at the start of the month for that month. And then it comes back by the middle of the month and we need to all edit it in the back half. Mm. What? So like our, our document per day model doesn't really work for them. They yeah. actually care more about like we get it all back within those two weeks. Mm. And if they're not using it for two weeks when the content is being written, they feel like psychologically, they feel like they're wasting money. So yeah. you're people say, I'm going to sign up and then I'm going to churn them. I'm going to sign up and then I'm going to churn. I'm like, you can also <laughs> do that. But just so you know, our prices ch prices change all the time. And so if you if you cancel and then come back on, you're paying the higher price. Yeah. Right? So that's that helped some. But basically what I've done is I actually have an option for people now where they can just, they can buy a bundle of words, just like a balance of words. And on that one, it's a two-day, two-business-day SLA on documents. And we do have like up to like four documents like being worked on at any concurrent time because yeah. I'm also then incentivized to help them burn through their words. Totally. <laughs> so then they yeah. buy more, you know? But that works for them. Like the two-day SLA on all documents is great because they're not like, I'm uploading 10 and some of those aren't going to come back for two weeks. Like yeah. I'm up uploading 10 and at most, it's going to take three days, right? Four days yeah. for it to come back on this. Like, you know, we, we do kind of like pace it. So just for like... Mm -hmm internal like capacity, you know, the issues at this point. But like I had to adjust the way I let them buy. And yeah. as you say, like you produce content this way or this way. Okay. You produce it the second way. Great. This is the way that you should buy. And that's made it much smoother. 
It's not funny. It's just understanding the language they speak so your product aligns with it because those little nuances can have a huge impact, right? As far as, oh, you know, we don't need it every month. We need it this way. And right. you're still getting like the recurring business. It's not true. It's not a monthly subscription, but they're going to be re-upping. And the thing that science is yeah. you're doing based on usage, right, is what right. we we care about as well, just to protect your margins and everything. Right, exactly, yeah. And and that also doesn't preclude us from like, or you, if someone comes in and they're like, hey, we need 10, like we need 10 designs, right? 10 options for this like landing page or whatever. Mm-hmm. You can also just sell it to them as a bundle. You don't have to get them into like a monthly thing that then they churn. You're like, all right, cool. You need 10. And, you know, and, and basically like they can pay, they they basically pay a tax on not doing the ongoing, not having the ongoing. It's like, yeah, it's $12.99 for a page if you're constantly getting us to create pages, right? Yeah. But you only have a need for 10. So then it's like whatever, $1,500 or whatever. And you can like kind of custom quote them that way. But you can still yeah, deliver yeah. it in the same way, using the same designers, et cetera. No, I love that because you're exactly right. Because when we would do the unlimited a month, they're like, well, wait, what does unlimited mean? And some months are different than others. And it was just like, you know how a sales call goes where it's going well, then all of a sudden you confuse them. You're like, I wish I would not have even put that out in front of them. Oh and gosh. so, yeah, we, uh, one thing, a buddy of mine, he was saying, this is what you need to do, man. And I actually, I, I, I've been testing a little bit. I'm a little hesitant. He's like, you need to be the Costco for CRO where it's low monthly or quarterly fees just to get like your CRO analysis and roadmap. And then when they need design or dev, that's the variable component. But if they feel that they always have you in their back pocket when they need you, you'll be the go-to option. And so yeah. that's something that's interesting where it's like, should it be like $749 a month? Should it be $79 a month? What do you get? But yeah. just to be on the hook, so you have some recurring component. But I agree with you, man. It's like, Sometimes the MRR doesn't work. It's more of the usage and letting them always re-up. Right. And I know, like, I, I hear that. And I've also, like, thought about that myself. And I know some companies that, some productized services that run that model, where basically they try to teach their customers that it's like, it's not necessarily about the output that they're getting, but it's having the access to the output when they need it, which works really well in a booming economy. I think it's different now in the current economy that we're in. Yeah. And and also those businesses that that do that, I know their churn is crazy. Mm-hmm. Like double digits a month of churn. They just have enough inbound that they're able yeah. to replace it. But they also hit like a ceiling. So at pluses and minuses, man. Pluses and minuses. <laughs> yeah. The other thing, so there, do you know who David C. Baker is? He's like the consultant's consultant. He wrote the book, The The Art of Expertise. And he uh, he basically says to have a product or to have a productized service or an agency, you literally don't need a list that's bigger than 2,000 people. As long as you have 2,000 leads, you can have an amazing business. And he's like, you can buy a list of 2,000 leads. And I think about that because I think a lot of times I'm guilty of going too broad and not focusing enough. Because like we made the decision to focus just on Shopify and e-commerce. We're thinking like, do we go even more focused within that, especially in the early days? Because there's something magical when you know the, the customer so well and you're so focused that when they see your product, it's just a no-brainer. Have you, because you, you're honing in, is there something that you're like, oh, wow, if we just focus on that, 
niche or category, I would knock it out of the park? Or are you not at that point yet? Because that's what I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, I've been thinking about this. I think we're getting close. I think you are too. It sounds like you're just doing like Shopify, right? And if you can figure out how to find, how to get in front of the ones and, and maybe it's not like individual Shopify store owners, or maybe it is Shopify store owners that are doing over 5 million a year and they have a person that's in charge of like design and testing or something like that, right? Yeah. So there are these like qualifiers. It's like they are this and they also have this person and they also do this and they also do this and then boom, that's yeah. what you're going for, right? <laughs> yeah, um, right yeah. Or it is, you know, maybe it's agencies, Shopify agencies that are always producing, you know, they're they're creating websites and they're creating custom Shopify sites, right? And their their customers are Shopify stores doing two mil plus a year or something like that, right? Yeah. But they work in this way, right? I think it's a lot more the process and not the not the person necessarily. By the way, I just want to put I love that you're talking about like finding the right process that you fit into because with what we do, that's really what it is. That's the product yes. market fit. And I haven't thought yes. of it that way. So good call. Sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, we're like, you know, at Editor Ninja, I mean, you're like, you're part of, either, you're one step in the development process or one step in like the conversion optimization process, right? So yeah. like, people shouldn't be comparing you to their conversion agency. They should be hiring a conversion agency that uses you. <laughs> right? right. Yeah. So like for, for Editor Ninja, we're like the last two, three steps of the of the content creation process, right? We're not owning the full thing. Then we'd be a content agency. And then people would be asking us for a bunch of other things as well. So yeah, but I've been, I mean, I've been doing a lot of like research and looking into like, okay, if we're going to go after content agencies that are producing at least 30 pieces of content a month for their clients, and they've been doing that consistently... What, you know, what, what does that look like? Like what, how big is an agency that is consistently producing at least 30, 40 pieces of content a month for their clients? How many clients do they have? Right. Yeah. What does their internal structure look like? And then, you know, what does their process look like? And so once I'm back from this upcoming trip, I think I'm, we're going to do, we're spinning up more like Google ads and such, but that's more like just like straight keyword focus. And then there's more like qualification about like, are they the right kind of business? Are they, you know, their volume, blah, 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 like all of those things. And some of that on the forum, some of that on sales calls, but then also, I, I want to do more like targeted, more targeted outreach um, yeah. just to like kind of queue up, you know, queue up those calls because I've not had a problem getting like agency owners and such like on calls in the past to talk to them. And I phrase it as, like, you know, discovery calls or, or as research calls. But then usually it's like, I'm talking with them. I'm like, oh, you do that? Oh, that's interesting. I've seen people do this. And then we get like 10 minutes in and then they're basically asking me about like how we do what we do. And then they're like, oh, yeah. that's interesting. Can we actually do like a sales call? Yeah. And I'm like, ha, 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 ha. yeah, you didn't know this was a sales call. This is, this is the discovery call. You're already um, on the sales call. It's that's like, right. That's it's right. Like scream, yeah. The call is on the from first the one. The yeah. House. Yeah. Happy to do another one to dive deeper, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. So, you know, I have been just getting a lot more like focused in on like, it's just so much about like, who the person is and how their process works rather than, like, you know, trying to infer some intent from some like keyword search and that kind of thing, yeah. which is something I've, I've had to unlearn. I know you come from a different background, but like I come from an SEO content keyword background and it's much harder. I, I'm just finding it's much harder to build a business off of that than saying like, all right, who is the person that you're going after? And then specifically going after them, you know, it's really the psychographic like targeting. And right. I feel kind of stupid that it's taken me so long to really grok that. <laughs> but I've also grokked it finally. So it's, yeah. it's a step in the right direction. Oh, I feel stupid about so many things. So yeah, you and me how, how are you going about having these conversations? I'll share like how we get these conversations to hone in on what is the right product so we get to kind of product market fed. For us, it's like playing to our unfair advantage. We have growth hit unqualified leads we can send to one day design. So that that's literally 
been like what got us like six figures with this little product. Again, six figures in a year, not six figures a month. And then the other thing is we are doing cold email outreach and we're being extremely aggressive where we're doing essentially a free CRO assessment for them that takes us a little bit of time. That has been fairly fruitful. And then we're just now standing up Google ads and we'll see how that goes. Like I know how much it costs me with growth hit to acquire some with Google ads and it is not cheap. And that mm. LTV is much better than the LTV for one day design. So I'm a little sure. bit for that. And then yep. I do a little bit of like content marketing myself that helps, but it's not like re- repeatable. But that, that's like what we're doing. What's working you? What the best for you? I mean, for us, it's still a lot of like referral and like people in the space. If I can get on webinars and podcasts and like that kind of thing and actually talk about what we're doing, then people, I mean, I just find that that, you know, that attracts the people that, that work in that way. You know, like I get on and I talk about our best customers, our agencies that have a set editorial process and they're providing the subject matter expertise and the writer feedback, et cetera, in house. And then they're relying on us for the final, like the finalization of it because they've scaled so much that their professional editors can no longer handle it. People are like, oh yeah, that's how we do it. For some people that are like, no, I really need like a content manager. It's like, yeah. it's not an editor, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So like, it's a great way to like attract and, and or repel, the, like, attract the right fit and repel the wrong fit, <laughs> which is what we should be doing, right? Yeah. Like I, I, I'm a people pleaser, man. Just like personally, like I want people to be happy. But like, I've also just had to realize that like, we, if you're trying to serve everybody, you're not going to serve anybody. You're not going to serve so anybody. True. Well. Yeah. So, we, so we have to be willing to say, like, you know what? We're just not a good fit for that. I'm sorry. Maybe you have a, you can refer them to someone or you know something like that. Like, yeah, it's just it just has to be it has to be done. SEO works pretty well for us. We get some good leads from SEO from content. Yeah. Some like Slack communities have been great for us. Like Superpath has been awesome for us. Oh, nice. Just because it's, it's our ideal like audience. It's like you got freelancers, you got co- agency content people, you got in-house content people. Ours, are so. you in there just kind of being you and just adding value? And then people are like, oh, there's Sean. Oh, okay. That's Editor Ninja. Got it. Is, is that yeah. play there? Kind of. Yeah, yeah. It's two things. I, I don't engage as much anymore with like, people asking specific questions. If it's very like workflow, scale, et cetera, things, then I'm yeah. engaging. But if it's just like, if it's, you know, I don't know, basic like, how do I send a contract sort of question, like freelancer questions? I'm like, it's just not worth it because they're not our our yeah our audience. You know, they're not our our ideal customer. So, but then also we we do some advertising. I've done some targeted like advertising. Like we get some sponsored like posts in Superpath oh, nice. um, that I pay for every month. I've sponsored some podcasts. Like I sponsored uh, Haley Moore and Emma's freelance writer podcast a few months ago, That's starting this year. One. Yeah, um, yeah, and we got a number of customers off of that. So like. That kind of thing tends to work, tends to work best. Just like super targeted and super like expertise driven. Yeah. Uh, has worked well for us. So I need to try the podcast advertising. That's 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 a great idea. Okay. So let's talk about kind of two last things that I want to hit on is one is what are you doing going forward to like get to that state where like, wow, you're feeling good about what you have and you're ready to scale because you're at product market fit. And then second, like, what does that look like when you're at that phase and it, and like for the business when you hit product market fit? What I'm doing to get there is, I mean, basically what we've already, what I've already been doing is a lot of like talking to customers, talking to prospects, looking at the data of like, why did people churn and what kind of company were they? And what, what do the people that churn have in common? What are the people that didn't churn have in common? And then basically saying, all right, everyone, people that are getting like results from us, what do they have in common? And then where are those people hanging out? And then how do I get in front of them? Whether it's a, a podcast sponsorship or being a part of a Slack community or getting on a podcast or 
getting a guest post or whatever. Like, I don't really care the channel, the medium. It's just like, how do I get in front of that specific audience? And then I don't really know what it looks like when you hit product market fit. But I do know that a lot of that is then just going to be all about the team. It's about like, I'm I'm not involved in the day-to-day delivery of work at this point. I do account management. So that's going to be a, a key role for me to hire because I am not a great account manager. And then, and then basically, I'm going to have to have someone that's responsible for hiring editors because then that becomes the, the bottleneck, right? If I can't get the editors, I can't sign on customers you know, for, to, to, for the editors. So that's going to be a big one. And then eventually, at some point, I'll offload marketing and sales. I'm actually going to offload marketing first and then I'll offload sales. But so I'll, and, and at some point in there, I'll probably slot in, like, we have enough lead flow. I'll slot in, like, a, a sales development person kind of doing the qualifying. And then I'll basically play the account executive, like, closer role for a while. And then, you know, either upgrade that SDR to a closer or hire a closer, you know, to, to, to handle all of that. And then I can focus on, like, you know, building, building the business and the operations and the product and all that stuff. Cause that's stuff yeah. that I love to do. And right now I'm doing a, a lot of roles, but like, I, I think once you kind of hit that fit, then it becomes all about the team. And who's responsible yeah. for actually doing the fulfillment. And then you can focus on building the business. Yeah. How are you thinking about it? Well, we're on the same page. For me, it's like, I've got to figure out the product and the persona that does two things. One, it makes the client happy where they're like, this is exactly what I wanted. And the value exchange feels like this is a no-brainer. I'll keep this for a very long time. So then on the P&L, we have recurring revenue. Because I know we can mm-hmm. close stuff, but I want to close long-term things. If mm. not, then I don't think this business works for like the mm. goals that I have, unless we really crack it, unless we really uncover a customer acquisition machine that's super cost effective. And yeah. so that for me, that's getting on a, a lot of phone calls I went for today, just Good. trying to get after it. And then mm-hmm. let's say it starts to work. Oh my gosh. Then the first thing that I want to do is actually unload sales. Because I'm still sales for Growth Head. I'm basically like a dancing monkey at this point for Growth Head <laughs> Sunday design. And so, You're like, the, so which service are we talking about today? Yeah. Who, what am I selling you? What hat do I put on? That's right. <laughs> and Change so, my shirt real quick. And so like the thing that I like about One Day Design compared to Growth Head, Growth Head is a strategic sale. It's like really getting into strategy. One Day Design should be very much a transaction-based sale where it's very black and white. It's almost a menu. And so that's what I want to do. I do still want to be very much involved in the marketing of it. We have the fulfillment everything done, but I, I really want to put my foot on the gas with it to, to scale because mm. the, uh, there's some good and bad things about Growth Hit, but One Day Design is kind of taking all the bad from Growth Hit and making it good in that it's like, I'm not selling myself. I'm selling like a, a true service. It's, it's more scalable. And so... That's that's what I'm interested to see if we can really pull off. But I've got a question for you. Do you ever think about this is working, but not working it the way I want? I need to pull the plug because sometimes I see a lot of people that are really smart and sharp and go after a good idea at the opportunity cost of maybe something great. And this is something where I'm like, okay, this is working, but I'm thinking about being as aggressive as putting a line in the sand with time to be at this date. If we don't hit this, then I think we would still have it, but it'd always be like a down sell from growth hit. And then I could take our team and focus on other things. I'm, I'm not sure like how aggressive I want to go there, but uh, I just see too many startups and smart people just kind of flail for too mm-hmm. long. And, mm-hmm. and the opportunity cost is really great. 
Like, I, I don't know if you ever go to a dark place where you have those thoughts or conversations with yourself. Because I do. <laughs> I have. I have for sure. Did it a lot more, done it a lot more with Credo over the years. But I, I think I think there's a few things there. I think number one is I wouldn't, just me personally, just the way my psychology works is I wouldn't shut down a service that's like kind of working that I'm also smart and I can like get it sell to it. better, you know? Yeah. Uh, I could sell it too, but like can get it to better. I wouldn't like sell something or close it down without knowing what that, without having some sort of signal that something else might be better. Yeah. Um, so if you see me starting, like starting up other businesses, that means I'm looking. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not starting up other businesses right now. Um, yeah. And then also part of it is just like, you know, like for you, I mean, you've got growth hit and y'all are doing what, two, three million a year or something like that. I think I see. So, you know, the question is, like, is it worth it for you to spend all this like bandwidth and time on one day design, which is doing, you know, 100K a year when you literally have a 20 to 30X, you know, business already going that potentially has a bigger opportunity? It's a good question for you. For me, my situation is different. Like I've got more time. I've got a longer time horizon. I don't have a business doing two, three million dollars a year that I'm working on as well. So, you know, I can I can futz around, right? And I can I can make it work. Like, yeah, at some point, you know, I gotta I gotta pay myself and all that. And that's one of the current challenges. Like, I haven't taken a dime out of Editor Ninja. Like I've not paid myself from that business. I've got other other things going on that you know we're we're good. But but at some point, it does need to be a sustainable business that pays me. Like, Pay yourself first. And then from there, you can only really say a business is profitable if you're paying yourself like, a, you know, a market rate like salary. And then, like, you know, you're not starving yourself yeah, in order to hire other people. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that's that's more where my brain, my brain goes. Like I'm committed to Editor Ninja at this point, And I think it can be, you know, quite big. Are we going to hit my goal of being at a million ARR by the end of this year? Almost definitely not. But if I aim for a million and we hit 600, 500, is that a win? Yeah, like for sure. And then that also means we're on a good trajectory to then hit that goal. You know, it's kind of the, the million, a million ARR by the end of the year is kind of a BHAG. And if we yeah. get ourselves 60, 70% of the way there, I'm going to be super jazzed. You know, yeah. we're currently like 20% of the way there. So like we've got work to do, you know, but we also have half of the year left. So yeah. And I'm a big fan of the book Built to Sell. And like the way you're Love setting, that book. setting up Editor Ninja is just like straight from that book. Because yep. when I was reading that book, I was like, oh, wow, I did everything wrong with growth. And it's like, <laughs> tried to do it well with, with one day design. Um, yeah. But no, that's no man, that, that, that's super helpful. And I think you, you bring up so many good points there around. Like, it's funny, like. Whenever you have a business, it's like, I don't even, a lot of times it's like, not even thinking about pulling the money out. Cause when you take the money, you just want to invest it back in. Cause it's just mm. a big game. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's a fun game to play as you're trying to build and grow. Yeah. And scale it is. It. it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's definitely a fine line there, you know? And like, I, I don't, I've never, like any business I've run, I've never taken like all the profit, you know, out of the business. Like, I'm always reinvesting. Yeah. So there is some point where you hit where you're like, okay, I'm reinvesting this, but I'm not getting the growth that I need. So it might yeah. actually make more sense for A, to go and like rethink what I'm investing in to things that will give me the return. But like short term, maybe you do take some of that money out, right? And you feel better yeah. about the business because you just dropped 50K in your bank account, you know? Yeah. There is something to that, I think. Okay. So the other, the other book I would say, I love Built to Sell, but then the other one that's been really effective for me, and I may have mentioned it last time I was on, like just in building profitable companies, is a simple number straight talk big profits by Greg Crabtree. I think I so, read that after you told me in that mm -hmm. book. Sorry, go ahead. It is it is up there. Please read just, it. Just the yeah. simple and I'm I'm starting to do this. I haven't done it. I kind of forgot about it to be totally honest with you. But like what I'm starting to do is every week I go and I'm like, all right, how much money did we collect this week? Right. 
that that we kept, right? Like outside of refunds. So we don't have refunds often, but like I would take that out. And then I'm taking a percentage of that. He Crabtree talks about, I think he says 2%. I think I'm doing like 5%. And I transfer that into a profit account. Yeah, and nice, so like yeah. we make a thousand dollars in a week, then I'm putting 50 bucks into, you know, into the account and, you know, it just kind of scales up from there. Yeah. And then that is what I pay myself starting off until we get to the point where I can pay myself a salary. Yeah, so yeah. you always have something you're forcing yourself to be profitable because you can't spend the money that you don't have there in the checking account It's literally in a separate account. Yeah. But that book has been really helpful for me. I go back, dude, I reread that thing. Like I'm all about studying books, not just reading books. Yeah. Like I go back and reread that book probably three times a year. Because I'm like, oh, shoot, I forgot about that. I wasn't ready for it. And I did this and now we've gotten here and then now I'm ready for the next step. So I think there's something to studying books like that. And yeah, I I am so on that page because I would read books and then someone would ask me two years later, did you read that book? I'd be like, I think I did. And I didn't retain anything. And then I'm like, okay, I need these books that I really liked. I need to go deeper on. So I've been doing the exact same thing. I was even rereading the four-hour work week a couple of times and like, It just hits you in, in different ways at different phases of your life. And it's so interesting to read it when you're at a different stage because you you intake it a little bit differently, which is kind of fun. But, uh, but yeah, the, the, in that book that you mentioned, they talk about like the black hole of death for businesses when you're like over 20 people in between one to five million in sales and how that's where most companies go to die. And, <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness. Yes, that is very true. Yep. And it's also nice to to know that that's coming up, right? Hopefully. Yeah. And and then you kind of like, and then when it gets there, you're not surprised. And you're like, all right, I know, like, I wasn't ready for that. So like, I read the chapter-ish, but yeah. now I'm going to go study the chapter. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, all right. You said I get here. Now what do I do? Yeah. Here are the, here are the growing pains. Yeah. That's right. Yep. But yeah, to your point of like growth head versus one day design, it's funny. Like I'll be on a sales call for growth head, we'll close a client, but then I'll be on a sales call for one day design, we'll close a client. And it's literally like, a thousand dollars. And I'm more excited for that than closing some like big growth at client because it's like, it's more like selling a product than me selling me dancing and having right. to execute the work. So yeah, that's right. But, well, dude, John, what else? What else do we hit on with product market fit struggles? Hopefully this is helpful for people that are like trying to do their own thing. And it's not just all rainbows and sunshine trying to freaking figure this out. Yeah, no, I, I think just like, you know, end of the day, the man who loves walking is going to go further than the man who's looking for the destination. Like you just mentioned it, like business is a game. I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm learning to enjoy the game and learning to enjoy the ride. And a lot of it too, is just like when I get into those, like I should just shut it down. Like there, there's two things to that actually. Cause I've been through that many times. First, I remember that that is actually an option because once I start feeling stuck, that's when I get into a bad place. So I'm like, you know what? It is actually an option. I could go into Kinsta and delete the website. <laughs> I could do that. I can. It is a viable option, right? Yeah. But before I do that, I'm going on a walk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I'm getting space. And dude, they're like, like last week, we're recording this on the 15th. Last week is the hardest week I had in business in probably three years. Oh man. Um, it was hard. Just like a lot of churn and just like customer stuff. And like, it was, it was wild. And I was like, and I got to the end, like end of each day. And I was like, I'm just taking the L. Taking the loss today. I got to the end of the week and I was like, I'm just taking the loss on the week. And yeah. then I came back on Monday and this has been a good week. Yeah, yeah. So so some of it too is just saying, this two shall pass, right? And if you're going through yeah. hell, keep on going. Because yeah. um, hell is a stop on the way to heaven, right? Like whatever cliche it, it, like that helps you, all those help me. Whatever cli- like cliche like that helps you, lean, in, lean into that. And the only way you fail is if you quit. 
Yeah, I bet what you learned in that week, most people would probably learn in a year because like you you accelerate your learning and your knowledge real quick when you're taking something to market and getting feedback and whatnot. Oh, yeah, for Um, sure. For sure. And it also wasn't my first week of, like you know, hard things like that happening. I've been on my own for eight years, almost eight years now. I've had a lot of weeks like that, you know, and it can be like the first time you go on a roller coaster, it feels like crazy, right? Like never been on a roller coaster before. You've never felt it. Like you just don't know what to expect. But after you've been on a bunch of them and you've gone through some loops and you know, all of that, it's like, all right, I know I'm going to be good. This is fun, not terrifying. (laughs) And you know, you get off, you're like, cool, what's next? You know, the other metaphor I like to use is building a business like surfing. Like at first you suck and you're falling all over the place. Then you get better and you're riding some smaller waves, you know, and then you can surf some bigger stuff. But then sometimes that bigger stuff just like eats you alive and you get flipped over, you get barreled, right? It's just kind of how it goes, you know? And, but at this point, like we're just, we're just riding waves. So we're on just like roller coasters that occasionally there are big spikes, occasionally there are big drops, but like it's just a roller coaster and just have fun with it. Right. It's all about your tolerance for pain at some point, not to compare us to yeah. Navy SEALs, but we'll just go down no. that for a second. I was talking, he was on a podcast, Pat Dossett, whenever he was doing like the SEAL week intense training, he was like, you would line people up and he's like, the people you thought would make it, they all dropped off. The people that were like physical mm. specimens. He's like, the people that made it weren't very impressive. But what you learned beneath them was like their tolerance for pain was just higher than everyone else. And I, it's funny because like my wife works at Amazon and she definitely has like issues she goes through. But it's, I don't know, she's like become numb to some of the stuff because you've seen so much highs, so many highs and lows. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but it, but it's true. Yep. No, I, I agree, man. It's just all about that. I mean, this is why, you know, mindset, mindset is the most important thing, right? How you're approaching it, how you think about it, how you manage your own psychology as you go through these things. It's just that's, and, and unfortunately, at least for me, I have to learn it through taking those knocks, but you know, it also <laughs> makes it, it also makes us hard. So, yeah. you know, there's not not much that phases me in business anymore. Yeah. Well, dude, John, this was awesome, man. Thank you so much for coming on. We'll have to do another check-in as we keep kind of pushing the, these projects along. But it's, it's Let's pretty- Let's do it, man. Sounds yeah. good. Thanks for having me on, man. Good to see you again. You too. I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out GrowthHit. GrowthHit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthHit has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out growthhit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman. Are you a business owner in desperate need of talent, but you have issues finding good people? Or worse, you find the talent, but then they want you to pay them double what you have budgeted. Yeah, I know the feeling. This is where Remotely Talents can help. 
Imagine having a personal HR team that finds you A plus talent, and here's the best part, it costs you 40 or even 80% less than US employees. It's magic. So let's say you need help with setting up your social ads, your Google ads, email marketing, website development, customer service. Their team sources the top Ukrainian talent for you and they deliver three top vetted candidates straight to your inbox. It's a one-time payment and best yet, they give you a 60-day guarantee to ensure you're happy. Hey, if it doesn't work out, they'll find and replace the talent for free. Even better, 3% of all sales go to the Children's Hospital in Ukraine. At Growth Head, our agency, we've hired four people from Ukraine. I am blown away by the level of work we're getting. So whether you need a virtual assistant or a creative director, give this a try. Go to remotelytalents.com right now and start a conversation. See if they can help you. You really have nothing to lose.